Hello, welcome to the Nottinghamshire Momentum podcast. I'm your host, Sinan, who's definitely not operating on an hour and a half's worth of sleep because he stayed up for an incredibly uh, inconclusive election. That's not what we're talking about, though. I'm joined by one of my regular co-hosts, Aaron. Hi. And I'm lucky to be joined by Joe and Abby. Hi. Hi. And we're going to be talking about not the election, thankfully. That's a whole other episode that we're going to be talking about that, probably. We'll, we'll let the showrunner, Adam, tell me. He tells me what we do, to be honest. I just, I'm just a nice voice for it all. But we're going to be talking about COVID-19 and the impact it's had on the University of Nottingham and on precarious workers at the University of Nottingham. So, Abby and Joe, why don't you introduce yourselves a bit more fully to the audience and about the, uh, about the campaign you're a part of, which is to protect precarious workers and end casualization at the University of Nottingham. Joe, do you want to go first? Yeah, cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, so my name's Joe. I'm a postgraduate researcher at the University of Nottingham. And I've been involved with the anti-casualization uh, campaign at the University of Nottingham for the, past, uh, for the past few years. I currently don't do any teaching work at the university, but um, yeah, I'm sort of like a, yeah, a full-time postgraduate researcher. And, uh, Hi, Abby. Oh, yeah, Hi, Abby, go ahead. I'm, Abby, I'm um, a postdoctorate, so I've been on casualised contracts for a number of years, and I've been teaching at the university. So, yeah, it's um, been quite an experience, to say the least. So I've been involved in, in the university and in the student union side for many years, and then I've been working there as well on um, hourly paid contracts. Okay, so... When we, uh, we talk a lot on the left on these kinds of podcasts about things like precarious workers and casualization, but, it, but the audience may not know what that really means. So could either of you, whichever one of you wants to take it first, uh, tell the listeners who precarious workers are typically, especially at the university, and what casualization actually is, because it feels kind of abstract to quite a few people. So if either of you would like to take that one. Or both. Do you want me to go first, Joe, and then you can fill in the gaps? Yes. So I'm a prime example of a precarious worker. So it's uh, different and it can be different for different people, depending on the roles that you have within the university. So precarious workers can relate to being hourly paid staff um, or those on fixed term contracts and are employed through either uni temps or um, HR of the university more broadly. And it just means that these precarious contracts are based on insecure working conditions and also lack of rights from a contract's perspective in terms of having any permanency and contracts which offer you certain protections and that, that doesn't occur in the type of hourly paid work that you do. Yeah, I guess when, like, when we certainly in sort of like uh, the... Uh, campaigns we talk about uh, precarious staff at the university we basically mean any any worker who's on who has sort of insecure working conditions that could be a teacher tutor researcher cleaner caterer admin staff any anyone but it generally leaves them underpaid and vulnerable in terms of living with the constant risk of being able to be that and made unemployed so no no protection from from that and then when we talk about casualization we're talking about the casual forms of employment a job here a job there 
few hours here, a few hours there, um, which leave people in that sort of insecure um, position. Yeah, obviously the, uh, the university tries to spin certain figures as to how many people, how many hours of work are actually done through uh, casualization of, you know, casual jobs and by precarious workers, but how prevalent would you, you guys say that actually is at the university? Well, I've been at the university since around 2006 and in that time I've had a continuation of these types of contracts. So you live in a constant state of anxiety with regards to not knowing whether you're going to get work for next semester. So it's very much seasonal. So you don't have any permanency when you're doing these type of roles. In terms of prevalence of it, I've got friends and also colleagues who are all on some type or form of casualised um, contracts puts them in a situation where they feel that they don't know what they need to plan going ahead financially and also looking for work outside the university. So essentially working at the university has a, a, a type of status, but there's also this other side, which people just assume that if you're working at the university, that you're protected by some types of employment law, but you're not. Yeah. So in terms of, obviously there are, you know, there are various forms of precarious work can take place, but a you know, we, we talk a lot of the time about one of the big offenders at the University of Nottingham being Unitent because it's an outsourcing um, agency. A lot of people who work who uh, work for the university via Unitent are not directly employed by the university at all or considered an employee of the university at all. They're on a sort of classic casualised version of a contract called a contract for services. So it's a sort of like a client-employee relationship rather than a, a a classic employer-employee relationship. It's incredibly precarious sort of work, um, but Unitense doesn't just employ teaching work, it employs loads of different roles of, across the university. So in terms of like figures that I last had, and just in terms of how prevalent it was, um, I had some, managed to get hold of some figures for um, the academic year 2018-19, where in terms of teaching affiliates, which are hourly paid teaching posts, there were just short of 700 engagements in, in the year through Unitense alone. And that doesn't include demonstrators like in the sciences who, you know, there would also be hundreds of them um, engaged in the same academic year through Unitense. But also likely uh, sort of from the statistics managed, from the stats we managed to get, like thousands of other roles across the university. They could be admin, open day staff, all sorts of work. So obviously I mentioned at the start the COVID-19 aspect of this, which I suspect is going to factor into the next question we have in our notes that have been handily compiled for me, which is to ask you guys, why did the University of Nottingham decide to make budget cuts earlier this year and how has this affected precarious workers? In terms of, it would have been towards the end of the last academic year as sort of the effects of the pandemic unfolded, sort of being made clear. Um, it sort of made its way down to us that um, the university, in terms of head management, had instructed each individual faculty uh, to make 15% cuts in its overall budget. So, I mean, pretty big, substantial amount of sort of money that had to be cut back. And, you know, the prime reason for this seemed to be that it was very nervous that it wasn't going to get its students in for this academic year. Basically, one of its key sources of income, revenue and profits were not going to be students. So it made these sort of like pre almost preemptive cuts in within faculties, the way a lot of that was decided, 
was there were big cuts to precariously employed staff, not because that would make the biggest saving. Actually, the biggest saving would be made through cutting back some of the executive pay um, and higher salaries at the University of Nottingham, but it's much easier to sack off precarious staff because they've got absolutely no protection. So various schools and in various, uh, in at least one faculty and other schools, there were emails that went around that basically said there will be no hourly paid teaching roles available next year, which was huge. But that went alongside other people that were on fixed term contracts that were just told that it wouldn't be renewed. And overall, it amounted to a massive cutback in teaching teaching staff as well as, as well as admin staff. So from a teaching perspective, uh, what occurred was many precarious staff, when the first lockdown occurred, uh, was supporting each of the permanent staff with teaching and taking um, the load off, essentially. What happened uh, in September was many of the jobs that perhaps postdocs and associates were doing were reassigned to postgraduate students. So you had an impact straight away in terms of the amount of work that was being offered. But then there was also an invitation to quickly get to terms with blended learning. So doing work online and either or face to face as well. So teaching um, that had and created lots of anxieties for many precarious staff because what's quite telling in terms of people who are on these types of contracts as well is the impact it has on their mental health issues but also the reason why people on these types of contracts as well is for health reasons so they have various health issues which have meant that they've not been given secure types of contracts so most of the work that was offered was face-to-face -face teaching so many precarious staff aren't able to take on that work because it puts them in a risky situation. So some have taken on online, but with online um, teaching, it was learning things very quickly and on the spot as and when things have changed. So we've had lots of students who've gone into self-isolation and that's impacted the workload, the admin that comes with students not being able to be on campus. Yeah. I think the other point that's uh, definitely worth making is when that when lockdown originally happened, which was at the end of the last academic year, a lot of you know there were a lot of teachers that had to work incredibly hard to move learning online um, at very short notice. And you know, just from a personal perspective, now I know people who did that move modules online successfully, got praised for it at the time, and, and were told how well that they coped and how brilliant they'd been in terms of continuing to deliver you know the high level of teaching that University of Nottingham says is expected but then they were told there would be no work next year. You mentioned Abby about the uh, how a lot of the work being offered this year was kind of in-person which wouldn't be suitable at all to people who can't do that due to health reasons. Is there also kind of a prevalence of the university discriminating against people who've been casualised and precarious workers in terms of ethnicity and gender? I think definitely. I think if you look across the board in terms of university and within society more generally, you have various reports that have been put together by the government, be it the race disparity audit, or to do with kind of inequalities um, for women of particular backgrounds. So if you're a Muslim woman, the Women's Inequality Committee um, wrote a report on Muslims in employment, and it showed that you were to face a triple penalty. And if you look at many schools within universities, you see that they're predominantly chaired and led by white, older, middle-class men. 
Um, so there's definitely inequalities and disparities which exist. And breaking through that glass ceiling continues to be ever challenging um, from a personal experience, but also uh, hearing from others. There's lots of unconscious bias that occurs and also lots of microaggressions. So there's lots of lived experiences of racism based on your ethnicity or your visible identity, um, which is difficult at times to prove because it can be subtle. In some instances, it can be overt, in others, it's covert. So you're constantly juggling through trying to break through the glass ceiling and trying to overcome many of the issues and barriers that face you. But then that's met within departments where you don't have access to opportunity as opposed to your white colleagues. Okay, uh, we did touch on it. I, you did touch on it very briefly, but um, it's worth asking because it's in the notes, um, which is how will the cuts to precarious workers impact students specifically? So obviously there's more to this than just the precarious workers angle of it. Students at the University of Nottingham will be affected by it. What will those effects be? So I find that precarious workers are very much stigmatised but devalued. So you're just seen as a part-time staff member and not necessarily seen through the lens of being an academic. So for instance, I'm a postdoc and that value is not there or not given. I think what happens in terms of interaction with students is it has a trickle-down effect. If you're a precarious worker and you're having anxieties um, towards whether or not you'll be able to secure uh, employment for say the next couple of weeks or next semester that naturally impacts both your mental health but also how you will be delivering if you feel there's lack of job satisfaction and there's no value to you that you're easily replaceable that ultimately impacts students and I think there is this need to educate and raise awareness amongst students about the impact it's having in terms of them not having you know the security that many would assume and I'm sure many students do assume that we have and have some sort of permanent contract. So that's just from a teaching perspective. But Joe, you may have others in terms of uh, research staff, but also other casualized staff. Yeah, so I think just sort of like on, on a general point in terms of how, how, how the situation at, at present is, a, is can affect students. Basically, what you've got because a lot of the casualized, uh, casualized stuff sort of got rid of and it's sort of like cutbacks. I mean, it's seriously undermined uh, teachers and sort of damages education in terms of the stuff uh, remaining who are already overworked and been out on strike last year, work locally, and one of the issues around that overworked because they haven't got the some of the hourly paid teaching stuff that were there to deliver those modules that aren't there anymore so you've got the staff that remain are going to be overworked but just in terms of on the general principle that when you've got people sort of like um the people who are making the university run in, in various ways uh, in precarious situations underpaid and constantly worried about you know losing their job and not knowing whether they'll be, be able to get get paid next month just the stress that that creates and the damage in terms of the quality of work <laughs> that you can do under under that under that strain is huge. And I think I mean it's worth it's worth noting that I mean I haven't got the figures to hand but from everyone I speak to in various departments anecdotally the numbers are the numbers of uh, undergraduates this year are the same if not up 
on, on the previous year. So essentially what you've got is a situation where lots of, not just casualized staff, but other staff as well, lost their job. Budgets have been cut. Workers have been cut. Tuition fees remain the same. And you've got, uh, you've got permanent staff left to, to teach with, um, and run the university, essentially, who are, who are stretched even more. Yeah, well, I'm actually a, um, an undergraduate um, at the university, and they've obviously cut um, a lot of the hours that we have this year as opposed to previous years, um, due mainly to their getting rid of a lot of precarious workers. And the way that they, they, they spun it, it was all kind of trying to convince us that this was best for our learning. I think it's so disingenuous and really, really rather outrageous, obviously. The worst victims are the um, precarious workers themselves, but I think a lot of, you know, it's not good for the students either if uh, their lecturers are having uh, more work. So um, the next it's question... Is, well, sorry, I mean, just to, just to come back quickly on uh, the yeah. point I didn't quite make before, but it's, it's the disparity as well between the situation they get in terms of trying to get people to, to, do, to do certain work for free and in good faith. So, you know, we might say that, you know, for a recent uh, Freedom of Information request or that there's about, I think it was 76, 74, 76 um, members of staff at university, uh, non-clinical staff at university, not only earn in excess of £100,000 a year. And yet, for this academic year, I had colleagues in the Faculty of Social Sciences who were asked that whilst they might not be able to get paid teaching work, they could volunteer to do it for free instead. So the idea that you would get undergraduates paying 10 grand a year and you'd be taught by postgraduate researchers who are volunteering unpaid to do that. But not just that, in terms of their reaction to the crisis, I think it was a couple of months back, there was an email that went out from um, the Deputy Vice Chancellor's office, which was asking current staff at University of Nottingham to volunteer unpaid in contact centres and student halls to manage, help manage the COVID crisis. So the response, again, is asking people to work for free to manage COVID-19 yeah. at the university. You have this thing where the, the assumption was made that the cuts were happening because you'd have less students coming in re registering because of a COVID crisis. But actually, um, on some of the modules that I've taught, there's been an increase of how many um, students there are. So it's not reflective in terms of what's going on. There's more students, therefore there's more demand and there's more demand for resources and teaching. There's also this obsession with student experience and meeting that and making sure that we're doing everything possible to give them as essentially the consumers what they want. But then the precarious staff experience is intrinsically linked of how it then will impact the students. So if you have overworked, overstretched, precarious staff who don't know whether they're going to get any work for the next semester, it's not going to help in terms of getting teaching to a high standard and quality, even though they do, and go above and beyond trying to deliver in the current context that they're in. And this is not to say that it's only linked to COVID. This has been going on historically for a number of years. So it's not isolated to just now. Just accelerated in the current climate. So uh, our next question, I think, is obviously links into this. What are, what are the short term and then the more 
long-term demands of the university in terms of the situation of precarious workers and casualization. You mean what, what are our demands of, of the university? Yeah, what are your demands? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, like our, our initial um, uh, demands that we've made in sort of our campaign is to first off to stop job cuts for, for, all, for all members of staff, to pause all forms of of job cuts. The second one was to end casualization and outsourcing. And I think we outsourcing as being sort of like one of the most exploitative ways in which casualization happens. But we want to see a stop to all forms of casualized contracts in the way that you know me and Abby previously described them. We want them to, and in line with outsourcing, adopt in-house fair forms of employment for all. So this means that everyone is in at a base minimum and an employee of the university no contracts for services none of this sort of client relationship everyone should have basic contract employment as a base level and and then again sort of just i think ensuring that the focus is on sort of like providing you know quality teaching for students that, that sort of goes hand in hand with those with those initial hand in hand sorry with those initial demands so yeah, uh, obviously when you're a precarious worker, the kinds of actions you can take are necessarily limited, some might think. So what actions have you taken to protect the precarious workers at the university? From a school perspective, but also as part of the campaign that Joe has been focusing on is um, petitions and letter writing and trying to get an awareness out there as to the experiences of staff that are casualized. So there's been... Um, uh, action network letters that I think Joe will share with you all to encourage others to sign joining the Twitter page but getting others involved as well and doing some um, obviously socially distanced protests on campus to give an awareness to students about who is and actually teaching them and what are their experiences of being at the university and how students potentially could support staff. Yeah I think at the moment like Abby said, it's, it, it is, you know, it's very tri tricky time to be organising, especially when a lot, a lot of us are indoors and sort of like uh, the effect, uh, you know, the effects of uh, COVID and the lockdown sort of reaching absolutely anyone. But yeah, so um, like so far in terms of what we did, we, had, we started off sort of like organising uh, amongst our colleagues, building sort of like a, a collective uh, letter that we put together and, and management. That was that was knocked back initially and then we put together our uh, petition uh, which got over sort of 500 signatures and that was into management and we are seeing some movement on some elements of it we are having sort of like there has been discussion about introducing fairer forms of hourly pay uh, contracts but still there's there there is a long way there is a long way to go so like we say at the moment we've got a letter writing campaign where we're asking people who study at the university work at the university or just living, not even more interested in state of uh, work in, in, in universities more generally, um, send a letter to the management, to the University of Nottingham Management, asking them to stop job cuts and casualisation and, and outsourcing and adopt in-house and fair forms of employment. But you can, yeah, yeah you can do that by um, going to uh, sort of our Twitter page and our Facebook, which I will definitely make sure, oh, it's at UON casuals on twitter and then it's facebook.com forward slash uon casuals yeah on facebook so those are the places uh, to visit if you want to like support the campaign uh, and 
write one of those letters for us, that'd be that'd be amazing. Yeah, so we also had a demonstration in the, in the first week of term, and a lot about that was trying to get our message out and try to actually have a chance to speak to students outside of classrooms, virtual or otherwise, about uh, about some of the some of the issues. Okay, you kind of just blasted through our through the rest of our questions there all in one go i think oh sorry <laughs> no it's good it's sufficiency um i guess the only thing left to kind of go through is just like are there any other ways that people can support the campaign outside of the social media routes and um any other ways to get in touch and show support so in terms of, from from my perspective i think if there can be support from students is huge because essentially universities are governed and guided by what the students want and if the students are aware of some of the struggles that precarious staff are having um, and can shed light on it and also write to the vice chancellor that would be amazing uh, from a, a community perspective i think various civic organizations are surprised when you interact with people and let them know that these are the experiences that are occurring and i think a lot of people don't know the extent and the experiences of precarious staff so I think if you can work with, they can come on board and work with us would be great. And then I think the last thing for me is permanent staff. I think there's many permanent staff who have supported our issues and are trying to get movement within schools to try to get an attention on this, which hasn't happened previously in much kind of depth. So that's really important. Yeah, I think that's a really important point about, you know, asking for support for sort of like uh, permanent members of staff who have that level spirit who can like show solidarity in that way as well as well as, as well as students. I would say that I think that just you know on, on, a, on a broader scale there is in terms of the broader context in which this is taking place it's, it's the you know it's the marketization of education. So the, the, the issues that we are facing are, are, are linked to students. There's a reason why the tuition fee model there's a reason why so many uh, students were sort of like told that they should all come back and they would have the experience that they were they were sold. It was so that they could get them back in halls of residence, get their rent money, and it was so that they could get people's tuition fee money. It's a marketized model. That's what they were doing, selling selling degree programs. And it also means that in terms of the cutbacks and the lack of like caring, that you, you know, sort of lack of attention to sort of the workers. On the ground and the people that deliver a clean healthy safe university and deliver the, the modules at the university the lack of respect for them and the sort of uh the sort of uh, yeah i sort of cutthroat approach to sort of um the cutbacks that have been made this is all part and parcel of the marketization of education and on a much more broader political scale as you not to moment you know this is something that, this is something that we need to be fighting at absolutely every level and it links everyone's struggles in together and i think that you know we show solidarity with a lot of the the, the students at the end of last academic year who were struggling against with like, sort of like rent payments for of our private halls that they that they'd already vacated and a lot of the same students Showing I think that's everything from us and um, so I just want to thank uh, Joe and Abby for coming on giving us their time thank you very thank much you. Thank you for thanks for having us yeah thanks very much it's no problem we, we might have you again depending on if uh, the campaign picks up some more steam I think that's it from us for this episode so thank you for listening 
remember to go to UON Casuals on Twitter and on Facebook and keep up with the campaign. Otherwise, have a wonderful day, evening, afternoon and night and we will catch you another time.